Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello, I'm Alex McLaren. I'm an actor and I've worked as a communications coach since 2002. Now so much business is being conducted remotely, the ways in which we talk, present, build relationships and connect is changing. In this podcast, I want to explore all those issues and prove to you that no matter who you are, you can talk to anyone. Hello and welcome to You Can Talk to Anyone, the podcast in which we open the bonnet on our communications engine. A very happy new year to you all. I'm Alex. And I'm Tom. Um, And this week we're going to be talking about the conversations that we have when we are not actually present in person. We're talking about why is it different online. So to be clear, we're not talking about the now ubiquitous Zoom calls when you are doing a facsimile of being in the room with people or even telephone calls. We're talking about when you're not present at all, when you're communicating simply by sending messages, whether that's an email and the response will come in good time or WhatsApp or a text when you're expecting a reply more or less straight away. That's right. Um, And I'm sure many of you will be extremely relieved having suffered from cognitive Zoom battery. I'm interested in uh, all of the other different platforms and channels we have for communicating with each other and conducting conversations back and forth. So just just taking all this back to, uh, I suppose, my my own, you can talk to anyone accusations. People have said, (laughs) oh, you can do it. Um, I'm a particular generation. Um, When I was a a tiny child, there was a telephone in the study, which rang. I used to I used to pick it up and say hello, 726414. Um, and, uh, and then we also used to receive letters in the mail and we would write them as well. Um, and that was the pattern right up to my going to university because we did not have a PC at home when I was a kid. And I left home in 1993. At that point, <laughs> my father got an Apple Mac, uh, mainly for, the, uh, for the, the music technology. So I only really learned how to communicate up to the point of being an adult through either speaking to people, using the phone, or writing letters. And I was an inveterate correspondent um, in longhand when I was at college. I would sit down with a fountain pen and a pad of Basildon Bond, and I would write a long letter. And I remember being very conscious of the gap between the amount of time involved in me writing this long detailed letter to my friend Tom Zielinski. Which would have to be a first draft. It typically would be. It, would be. it was always covered in crossings out in my case. <laughs> this, is, this is also, incidentally, how I was writing my uh, essays. I was a yeah. history student at the time. Um, uh, so I would spend a long time writing this. And then when Tom opened the envelope and read it, it would take him about 45 seconds to burn his way through it, assuming that he could read <laughs> yes. my writing. And there, was, and there was something, there was kind of this implicit sort of generosity in writing a longhand letter to somebody. Um, it is 
definitely true. It's been a long time since I've done it. Um, then after that, I think people were getting email addresses when I was a student. So that was kind of beginning to be people would learning how to type very quickly on Mavis Beacon. So that was speeding up um, the interaction speed. Also, it, you didn't post an email. You sent it and Tom got it instantaneously and could reply to it not just the, you know, the same day, but like we could go back and forth about five times in an hour. That was the beginning of the internet digital thread in which it wasn't a pile of envelopes in which I had to keep copies of the ones I sent <laughs> on um, a carbon paper. But in fact, it was always contained. The whole conversation was preserved digitally um, every time it went back and forth between us. And how strange it is that teenagers who you'd think would be the last people that you'd be able to get to sit and read mm -hmm. can't be prized now away from their phones <laughs> as they scroll through page after page of text. Although, yes. of course, there is a new trend now, which, uh, again, and I, I realise I'm old man shouting at clouds at this point. Yes, you are. Uh, but <laughs> I am very happy to sit and talk to somebody. I'm very happy to have a telephone call with somebody. Mm. And I'm very happy to send someone a text message if I, what I've got to say is relatively brief. Mm. If I call you and you're not there, sometimes I'll leave a voice message. More likely, I'll hang up and send a brief text or just trust that you've oh, noticed that I've called and will call me back. That's so funny. I literally, I, I, left a I left a voicemail an hour ago and now I'm regretting it already. <laughs> what other people do is they use technology like WhatsApp to send not short text messages, but long rambling voice recordings. They're mm. apparently making podcasts for each other oh, and sending them. And this just seems to be to be the worst of all possible worlds. No ability to edit and refine your thoughts into a, a little terse, brief text message, yeah. but no possibility of having a, a real human interaction either. Yes. Uh, so uh, anyone who sends me one of these should not expect a reply. <laughs> it's funny. There was, remember, there was a whole string of uh, when, when, when people started getting, a, everybody had a, suddenly had an answer phone, an yes. answer phone service. And there was a whole string of comedy routines. There's a great one in the movie Swingers in which John Favreau, who wrote the film, is also acting in it, is, leaves a sequence of uh, truly terrible um, answer phone messages with an ex-girlfriend and has to delete each one before he puts the next one in. I don't know if, if at the end he accidentally leaves the worst. Um, but uh, this tech becomes ubiquitous and everybody has to develop a relationship to it. Uh, soon after that, um, the text message came up. And I remember when I had a Nokia with, uh, and it, you, we used to have to pay for text, kids. As, uh, short, <laughs> yes, you had a limited old, supply. Old people. Had to know, ration them carefully. I've told you. Um, but the group text, I remember when I, that was first introduced, because initially text messages were like telephone calls. They weren't like a kind of a a group text is like a conference call, but in uh, little notes. You can involve a lot of people in it, and that you never used to happen. And as soon as it did, I remember finding it incredibly threatening <laughs> because I thought, oh, God, so much time. So many people now are involved in reading this letter. It now is actually taking longer for it to be read if you add up everybody's time than it took me to write it. Um, and the uh, the cost in time and the work involved suddenly started to feel like this is we'd entered a new stage. And this has been lost in the midst of time now, but... But when Twitter first launched, because very few people had smartphones, but lots of people could send and receive SMS text messages, tweets were delivered to some people via SMS. As a text message. And that is the reason for the 140 character limit. That was well. the character limit of an SMS text message. Well, well. And so it's not an arbitrary limit at all, uh, but it's a limit which has no 
bearing on anything in the real world now because that character limit has gone from SMS texts <laughs> and nobody tweets via yeah. the text message facility on their phone anymore. We have a Twitter app. Uh, so Twitter did eventually double the limits to 280. And, but it weirdly it became Twitter's selling point. Yes, it's true. They it's were a place of brevity. Vir- they made a virtue of it to the nth degree, well beyond the point when they had to when uh, SMSs had moved on. But that's a, a trap as well, because the very fact that you have to try and boil down what you're saying into now 280 characters means on Twitter in particular, yes. there's very little room for nuance. It slowed you up. And so Twitter flame wars mm. become a thing. People are... I think much more likely when they're interacting online and can't hear tone of voice and can't see the other person's expression to put their views in very forthright ways. And this is nowhere more the case than in Twitter, where the fact that you have this character limit means that you can't expound. Mm. All you can do is fire a, a volley of ideas back. Yeah, I remember an exact story told to me, possibly by you, Tom, about uh, <laughs> uh, was it Abraham Lincoln once apologising at the end of a letter, saying, "I'm sorry, this is such a long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one." I think it might have been Descartes, but I also think it's one of those quotes that's been attributed, attributed to everybody, to yes. everybody. Yes, Groucho Marx, Oscar Wilde, pick your favourites. <laughs> yeah, true. But, but I speak one of the virtues of a slightly more rambling. Um, approach is that you can drop in a little bit more of the human context, which uh, can sometimes slow up that uh, Twitter war um, flaming. I did get into Twitter. Um, and uh, I was late to social media, as you remember. Uh, for listeners who don't know the two of us, Tom and Deborah once gave me a T-shirt which read, no, I am not on Facebook. <laughs> I, only, I only tumbled into uh, the digital conversation when I had a baby in 2010 and thought if I don't learn the language that he's going to be speaking, I won't be able to communicate with him at all. I've since discovered, of course, that I can screw up my relationship with my son in all sorts of ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, uh, but when I got involved in Twitter, I remember initially finding it tremendously fun because the brevity of it meant that people felt that they could be accessible. And so you could could have conversations with strangers, um, often quite high-profile strangers, um, and they felt they had time to get back to you. Um, And you could see the record of that conversation back and forth and back and forth. Um, It didn't feel then that it was quite such a threatening and alarming place, sort of stripped of the human context that it is these days. But I found it quite satisfying. And I remember one of the things which bothered me when I finally thought, no, this is driving far too much addictive um, pattern behavior, I need to delete my account. One of the things you have permission to do is to ask to download mm, all yes. of your tweets. A complete archive. Have you ever done this? No, I haven't. Right, well, let me tell you what happens is that they download it to you in the form of a, 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 an Excel file, effectively. Um, but this is the painful thing. You only own the things you wrote. Mm. So you have only your side of the correspondence. Um, And the thing about a conversation that gets illuminated by this is that it can't really be owned. If one person decides to kind of pull out one half of it, they don't have 50% of something valuable. You kind of have nothing. Um, And I think that that says something quite interesting about conversation in general, in that when we agree to have a conversation, we definitely create something marvellous. And uh, you can discount your contribution or somebody else's at your peril, because once you take something away from it, it just doesn't exist at all anymore. 
And these different platforms, these different venues that we have conversations in, I notice have different tones mm. and different constituents. Uh, so Facebook is for boomers. <laughs> uh, Twitter is for comedians uh, and for um, slacking off big companies uh. whose service has not been up to scratch. TikTok appears to be for children. For children, yes, indeed. Uh, and then there's LinkedIn. Mm. Right. Um, shall we work our way through them and get to LinkedIn last? Because it's my <laughs> least favourite. Um, so, um, I, I, as, as you say, I've, I've had a relationship with Twitter and pulled out, although, I, of course, the Spontaneity Shop has an account and I occasionally pop in and uh, look after stuff there. Facebook, I think, is actually has started to be quite important to me, particularly in the last 18 months when we were all so, we were totally unable to connect with people and, uh, and wanting to keep in touch with people mattered, wanting to, I suppose, wave flags um, and, uh, and light beacons and see who connected. Um, and that has actually been emotionally quite sustaining for me. Although I do note that some of my best actual friends as to what Mark Zuckerberg calls a friend mm. are not on Facebook at all. And so with those people, I find myself picking up the telephone and ringing them because that's what 46-year-olds do, kids. They use Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. I also find that Facebook conversations are often driven by, in my world anyway, I know that everybody's own, you, you build your own constituency there, often driven by politics, which I find quite tricky to engage with, partly because it's always a little bit of a bubble. Um, but the other thing I find interesting about it is it's an opportunity to tell stories and create interactions and games. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, hello for those of you who know me. If you've been on my Facebook page this morning when I was on the train, uh, <laughs> I've been asking friends to tell me which brands they've switched over in their adult life. And I've had loads of people getting back to me and, uh, and we're all enjoying having a conversation about something relatively trivial, but also quite personal. So there's an opportunity for fun in, uh, in those digital interactions, which I've always been really interested in exploiting. I'm just wondering whether you do whether it's not really your style not so much no and I, I do find that again maybe just because i'm old mm. uh, facebook seems like a more reassuringly familiar place right uh, whereas twitter always seems to me to be full of strangers okay. and the uh, the idea of hanging out on twitter is alien to me <laughs> was i can hang out on facebook if i'm bored i'll hang out on facebook yes but yeah. on twitter it just seems there's full of people I don't know, mm. talking about things I don't care about. And if I re refresh the page, suddenly there's 60 more of them. Yes. Uh, and I find it a bit overwhelming. So Twitter somewhere I'll go to quickly check something. Mm. And Facebook is somewhere where I will just sort of spend leisure time. And that for me is the difference. But there's no right or wrong way to use these things. No. 
What time have you spent on TikTok then? Almost none. Yeah. And I find Instagram weirdly yeah. confounding as well. There's no mm. particular reason why I should. And normally I'm the first one lining up to try new things. Yes, but there's something fun. about Instagram which just doesn't kind of click with me. Yeah. I kind of, yeah maybe it's it, you, you have to be a filmmaker or you have to be a photographer or something. There's something about that visual dimension. There. Well, when the lockdown started, we did 50 daily new normal interviews mm. Uh, which were on Instagram Live, and we also put them out as mm-hmm. podcasts with people just to say, how are you getting on in lockdown? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, this was a whole dimension of social media, that, which I hadn't really dipped my toe into before. Yeah. Well, I once worked with a group of uh, 18-year-old um, school leavers were one of our clients, and I said, Twitter or Facebook? And they all went, Instagram. <laughs> and I, then, I then said, uh, um, uh, WhatsApp? And they all went, Snapchat. Um, and the <laughs> ah, ah. and Snapchat's quite interesting, sort of, uh, because, I mean, what we've been talking about so far is often the, the sort of the record of, it's almost like the digital version of an epistolary relationship. Mm. But Snapchat is much more like a conversation in which, in theory anyway, you have forgotten. Um, and this is a dimension of digital discourse, which is different from conversation, is that it is recorded and is there potentially for millennia. Um, and that, I think, does something different to the conversation. It makes us a little, can make us much more wary. So when we have a conversation, you and I just having a chat, um, we can be relatively uncensored. I can deny it later if you said I said this. <laughs> but if oh, there there's is, a paper trail. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm of the opinion that social media... Mm and privacy mm. are opposites. <laughs> and if you want more of one, you're necessarily going to have less of the other. Yeah. And so asking for social media to be as private as possible seems to me to be fundamentally oxymoronic. It's really fascinating yeah. that a lot of people who invented social media now have got children for whom they want privacy. And they've <laughs> yes. got very, very often quite tormented relationships with their own chimera that they created. So just like politicians are told that every microphone is live, mm. I think you shouldn't put anything into any form of social media which you wouldn't want out into the world. Email may be a slightly different thing. If you are a person of interest, yeah. then it's possible one day your emails will be hacked uh, and you'll discover that what you thought mm. were private messages have gone out into the world. That is something you can guard against. Yeah. But social media is broadcasting, mm. whether it's Twitter or TikTok or YouTube or anything else. Mm. Or, and I'm going to hold your feet to the fire now, Alex, or LinkedIn. Ah, yes. Okay. So, so this is where business people go. Uh, and it's not your favorite place to be. It's a place I've got very limited experience of, but I know some people have been able to do a lot of useful networking there. Well, I tell you one reason why um, it's not been massively useful to me. It's because I've not been looking for a job mm. in my adult life uh, since it was invented. Um, and I know that people who have been, that is where they have to look for their work. It's where they have to advertise their work. They often have to develop quite an intimate relationship with the algorithm and they're going back in and adjusting it. So um, it can, I mean, maybe one of my issues is that I've just been told about its tyranny by other people who've been subject to it. But there's also, I think there's another element about the, I suppose this is the publishing side, talking about privacy and publication uh, of uh, digital conversations, is that they are edited and curated and honed and presented. 
And I think that links to our, the, the constant theme of people coming back to us about authenticity, that the, the reality of a person is not what you see on their LinkedIn page, mm. nor on their Instagram or on their Facebook page. The, it's much, much more complicated and nuanced and typically much, much more vulnerable than the version that they advertise there. I, I think there's just something about the clarity and the cleanness of, the, of a digital interface which is so very, very different from the experience of being a person mm-hmm. in which we're constantly tidying ourselves up and checking in mirrors and, and still going out there and, uh, and other people will make up their minds about, uh, about how effective or, uh, or authentic we are. One of the weird things about LinkedIn, which comes back to this question of authenticity, is the fact that it purports to be a social network like Facebook where people can swap recipes and catch up with old friends Mm. and, oh, didn't I go to school with you and so on. But its business model is selling recruitment tools Mm. to people who are trying to fill vacancies in their business. Mm. So it has that slight sort of whiff of networking about it. And our networking episode, we talked about the fact that it looks and feels like going to a party until we put the word networking on top of it, whereupon everyone feels like there's an agenda. But, you know, a lot of companies aren't in the business that you think they're in. Facebook is an advertising company. Mm. McDonald's, if it comes to that, is a real estate company. One of the other things that happens online is that, as we've already alluded to, in many cases, Mm. tone of voice is absent. Yeah, people get things wrong. Um, And uh, I I want to kind of go back to quite an early digital communication, which was text messages. I found text messages started being really damaging to relationships because of that thing you said about uh, about how, how you, you try to do it very compactly. And mm. so you leave out a lot of the stuff which actually kind of cushions and took the edges off and actually got across how you were feeling rather than just the sense of what you were trying to make happen. Um, so uh, the And that, I think, has persisted um, in the world of WhatsApp as well, in which however quickly your thumb can whiz about the, the smartphone screen, you sometimes can leave out the context things that make it safe. So people try to correct for that with emojis yes. uh, and other devices, which again, I think I remember we all used to be very sniffy about and mm. say, you know, well, uh, as a master linguist, as a <laughs> chiseler of words into never before seen mm. sculpted shapes, uh, I have no need of these little, oh, do you know what? It's just quicker to do it. Yeah. <laughs> a semicolon and a sm- bracket. There we go. No, it's true. And, and I think also that's relevant, particularly in the fact that our, um, our working life is often much more international and multicultural and bilingual than, for example, our childhoods were when we were first learning how to be funny and to tease each other. I think that's really relevant so that um, much as we'd like to be able to live entirely in a world of Dorothy Parker, uh, acid clarity, um, in fact, we're going to need to signal those things a little more broadly for the sake of people who aren't necessarily conducting conversations in their first language even. I think one key element of this is also this shift from digital conversations and uh, correspondence conversations being something that you sat down as a desk to do. But also since about 2007, 8, 9, everybody has a computer in their hand, which mm. means it accompanies them everywhere. And it means that people are also accessible everywhere. It feels like you can sort of reach into their circumstances wherever they are and keep that conversation going. And some conversations, which normally would have been you meet up with somebody and have a 45-minute chat over a drink, can actually be uh, one exchange, then another exchange, 
then nothing for three hours, then another exchange, then six very rapid exchanges over 10 minutes, then nothing for three weeks. Um, and so that, 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 that sense of a conversation being this almost lifelong interaction um, is something which has been, I think, made very explicit by the, the smartphone, um, the, the email, the, the smartphone thread. And I think it is worthwhile taking a bit of extra time to put in those little niceties. Mm. Yeah, with people you know terribly well, that may not be necessary. But when it's somebody you don't know so well, if especially in an email where I think you have a little bit more latitude to be a bit more discursive, yes. I think it's so tempting when we're busy to see the request, rattle back a, a response, hit send on to the next one. Mm. But I think if you do read that email over again, ask yourself, is there anything I can put in to kind of warm this up a little bit, put a bit more of myself into it, humanize it a little bit. That second draft, unavailable to you, yes. writing with your battle to bond longhand, <laughs> uh, that will pay dividends. We don't always have the time for that, but honestly, we're talking about an extra 30, 45 seconds. And I much prefer to receive mm. emails that have a little bit of warmth to them you know, it, sometimes if we are just backing stuff back and forth, sure. just a quick, literally I had an email today because I was going back and forth with somebody yes. trying to design something to their specifications, which was simply three letters long, <laughs> THX. Uh, that's all it was. Uh, but that's all I needed on that occasion because I know that person quite well. Can I just ask you one question? Yes. Um, so this is something that uh, that I think is relevant. Have you ever found yourself coming out of a, a digital exchange, like a thread conversation, Sometimes it can become quite uh, when you're when it when it's a a back and forth, possibly even heading towards this is a bit of an argument, mm. okay, um, and the temperature started to slightly rise, um, and then you forget all about it, and then maybe sometime later you've gone back and reread the conversation with the benefit of being in a different emotional state, or three weeks later, or maybe some of the issues been, have been resolved, and you've thought, oh God. Reading that as if I'm a different person, mm. seeing this conversation, it reads, I can kind of see where they were coming from. Yeah, past me seems like a terrible asshole. Yes, yeah, very that's upsetting. It, exactly right. And I think what, one of the lessons from that is that if you want to de-escalate, if you want yeah. to cool down a conversation that's heading that direction, pick up the phone. Yeah. And you will find that people become immediately more reasonable. Mm. You know, everyone has internet balls. Yes. Uh, we <laughs> say things and we are direct and confrontational when all we're doing is typing words into a box mm -hmm. that we would never say, we would never be like that if we were actually having to sit down with someone or even speak to them over the phone. I think that's true. I have never in my professional life going into all these massive skyscrapers all over London, New York, around the world, I've never had the experience of communicating with somebody initially is sort of a digital text conversation, emails. And then when I've walked into the room with them, suddenly found them 30 times more intimidating. Mm. Never. It has always been the other way around. Yeah, it's I've never the case that you think, yeah. where's the person who was sending me those charming emails? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's always been the case that I've kind of, I've built up a picture of the person based on their correspondence, which is often quite kind of intimidating. Then I walk in and find, oh, it's just a bloke. <laughs> it's just a person. <laughs> Every time. Um, and I think that that's also it's relevant because we are sometimes those people to others. Yeah. Um, and I think if there's uh, one real benefit from being able to read over an old digital conversation is to think back over your face-to-face -face conversations. I think there may actually be some of those which you might have a different perspective on in retrospect. 
So um, your homework this week is to go and find that um, online interaction um, where you knew you'd got it right and revisit it. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, and ask yourself if that is actually the case. We'd love to hear from you on this one, by the way. Oh, dear. This is one of those uh, situations where feedback will be absolutely incredibly juicy. So get in touch um, if you feel able to share it. And if it's something we feel we can discuss in a way which looks after the confidentiality of everybody involved, then it would be really helpful. Alex and I run the Spontaneity Shop, which delivers training on this and other subjects all the time to companies big and small. We run regular workshops on subjects like making a good first impression, delivering a new business pitch, talking at a conference, uh, negotiating and relationship building, and so on and so on, all the things we cover on this podcast. Uh, So if you'd like us to come and work for you, drop us a line. You can call us 020 4080, or you can send an email info at the hyphen spontaneity hyphen shop.com. Or send us a cheeky tweet reply to our <laughs> yes. Twitter account, which you can find. It's at a spontaneity shop. Um, uh, we'd love to hear from you um, and uh, send us an email. Record your thoughts in a voice memo if you want. We might play it in a future show. Until next time, I'm Alex. And I'm Tom. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. You have been listening to You Can Talk to Anyone with Alex McLaren and Tom Selinsky. The producer for The Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinsky. You Can Talk to Anyone is distributed exclusively by Acast. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.